If you, if you are able to, would you continue standing and turning your Bibles with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. Continue our way through the Gospel of John. We have come now to verse 30, and we will read on down through the end of chapter 5. So John 5, beginning in verse 30. This is God's word to us this morning. John 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord God, we thank you for your word that points us to your son, that testifies to who he is and what he has done to save us from our sins. Lord, we do pray that you would show us Christ. Lord God, we ask now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Imagine, friends, what it would have been like to be standing there, listening to this man, telling you that your whole life, you have got it wrong. This man from some backwater city says that the Bible, the scriptures that you are reading, you've got it all wrong. This man who has never studied under the greatest teachers like you have, he's never gone to any schooling, is now standing in front of you and telling you, you have no idea what the scriptures are even about. He's telling you, you've got your whole life wrong. That's what Jesus is is doing here in John chapter 5. 
he's telling these Jewish leaders who've been questioning him over and over, who've been questioning his authority, questioning his identity, his power to be able to heal a man on the Sabbath. And now he's standing there and he's telling them, look, you don't know the scriptures. And because you don't know the scriptures, you don't know God and you don't know me. Jesus doesn't say he's going to argue with them about the, the Sabbath is about. He tells them instead of arguing with them over the Sabbath and what's right and wrong to do on the Sabbath, he says, look, you don't even know who I am. And because you don't know who I am, you don't know who God is. They don't know that he's the son of God. They don't know that he's the Messiah, that God the Father has sent into the world to save his people from their sins. And so Jesus is telling them, you've missed it. You search the scriptures and you've missed who they are pointing to. You've got it all wrong. And so as they're questioning Jesus' authority, they're questioning his identity, what we see in John 5 is Jesus is going to give them a number of witnesses that's showing his identity, that's proving his identity. If you go to court and you are falsely accused, you want to have witnesses, right? Witnesses that are going to testify to your innocence or testify to your identity of who you are. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's, he's, he's bringing before them a number of witnesses to his claim as being from God. So there's five witnesses that Jesus is going to give them him give them here, testifying to who he is. The Jews are trying to put Jesus on trial. But actually, what you have Jesus doing here is he flips the trial on them and shows them that he's not the one who's guilty, but that they are the ones who are guilty. They're guilty of missing these five witnesses that bear testimony to who he is. And so what are these five witnesses that Jesus is is, is going to tell them about? Well, he tells them that the works that I am doing, uh, John, the, sorry, first of all, John the Baptist is one of the witnesses. The works, the miracles he's doing. God the Father is his witness. So are the scriptures and also Moses. We'll unpack those in, in a couple of minutes. And, and so what, what's going on here is he's giving them these witnesses to show who he is. He's talking to these religious leaders, the leaders of the Jews. They knew the scriptures incredibly well. They had most of it memorized. Um, likely many of them, many of the Jewish leaders in their day, had almost the entire first five books of the Bible memorized. You know, if you turn there, you're to see Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's a pretty good chunk, right? That they had memorized. And yet, what does Jesus say to them? Jesus says, you've missed the point of all of it. They're accusing him of certain things and, and they're, they're mad because he said that, that he is equal with God and they want to kill him. And so this debate is surrounding the identity of who Jesus is. Now remember, the purpose for which John was writing this gospel, he was writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, that he is the Son of God, and by believing in him, you would have life in his name. John is showing us who Jesus is. He's showing us these witnesses who identify 
the makeup of who Christ is, who who show us the identity of Jesus. Friends, in order to believe in Jesus, in order to have eternal life, we must have a correct understanding of who Christ is, of his identity. And one of the devil's greatest tools in his arsenal is to get people to question the identity of Jesus, to question the deity, to question whether or not Jesus is really God. That's one of the greatest tools that the devil uses is confusion over who Christ is. We see that happening today, right? People who question if Jesus was really even a historical figure, whether he was truly God. Well, that was happening in his day as well. And because Jesus is not being believed, he's presenting these five witnesses to who he is. We see the first witness occurring in in John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. So the first witness here is John the Baptist. John came and he witnessed to who Christ was. John was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one who would save God's people. He said that Jesus was the Son of God. John in, in, in John the Baptist said in chapter 1, verse 35, he said that Jesus is the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Jesus saying, look, you heard John's testimony. But they've rejected this testimony as a first witness to who Jesus is. In verse 35, Jesus actually says he was a burning and shining lamp. Likely an allusion to Psalm 131 where God made this promise that he would would send forth a lamp who would go before his anointed, who would go before the Messiah. And Jesus saying, look, this is the lamp who would come before the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament. He's saying he has come. And he says, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. In other words, he's saying, look, you liked what John had to say for a while. They liked John's talk about the coming Messiah. But when they found out who the Messiah was, when they found out that Jesus was the Messiah, they didn't like that Messiah. Instead of trusting in Christ, they actually turned from him. Jesus did not come as the deliverer that they were expecting and they were wanting. They were wanting a political deliverer. They wanted someone who would overthrow Rome and deliver them from the Roman Empire. But instead of overthrowing Rome, Jesus overturned tables in the temple courts. He rebuked them, these religious leaders, for their fake worship of God. Jesus was not shaped the way they wanted. He disagreed with them. He rebuked them and he called them to repent. And they did not like that. You know, friends, does your view of God ever disagree with you? Does God ever disagree with you? What I mean by that, does your 
view of God ever call you to repent of your sin and change? Or do you think God just wants you to be happy and do whatever you want and He just wants you to be happy in your sin? Friends, if your understanding of God never disagrees with your own sinful desires and calls you to turn from sin, then what you have is not God. You have an idol created in your own image after your own wants. You don't have a true biblical understanding of the one true God. That's what these religious leaders had. They had their view of the Messiah. Their view of God was someone who would deliver them from the the, the evil Roman Empire. All the while realizing, not realizing, that they needed deliverance from their sins. So this first witness that Jesus gives to them is John the Baptist. John came as a witness to testify to who Jesus was. The second witness we see in verse 36. It's the the works of the Father that Jesus was doing. Look at me at verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So he's saying these works that I am doing, they, they are showing you who I am. What are those works? Well, we've seen some over the past few weeks, right? Uh, uh, of Jesus turning water into wine, of Jesus cleansing the temple, of him healing a, an official son from far, of uh, healing a man who was lame on the Sabbath. All of those were signs that Jesus was doing, revealing his identity, revealing that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior who was sent from God himself. And he's saying, look, you've seen these works. But instead of believing in me, you're rejecting me. Instead of celebrating the the work of the healing that, that Jesus was doing, the healing of the man on the Sabbath. What do they do? They complain. How dare he heal somebody on the Sabbath? Instead of acknowledging that, that Jesus is, is God, they deny him and they desire to get rid of him and kill him. So the second witness was the works that Jesus was doing. The third witness that Jesus then shows them is The Father Himself bears witness. Look with me at verse 37. And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have His word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom He has sent. Really, this is the greatest witness of all, right? God the Father, God Himself has has served as a witness to who Jesus is. God has revealed himself to them through his works, through his word, and ultimately through his son. But they have turned their back on his works. We'll see they've turned their back on his words, on the scriptures, and they have turned their back on Jesus. And remember, as we talked about last week, look, if you reject Jesus, you reject God. So the Father himself bears witness. That's the third witness. The fourth witness is the scriptures. Look with me at verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they 
that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, yes, you study the Scriptures. You pour over the Scriptures. They knew these Scriptures incredibly well. Frontwards and backwards and sideways and always. Yet Jesus is saying, you have missed it. You've missed the point. The Scriptures, when rightly understood, point away from themselves and point us to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist did. He pointed away from himself to Jesus. John came to bear witness about the Messiah, but he wasn't the Messiah. Similarly, the Scriptures bear witness about Jesus, revealing who he is. So the fourth witness to who Jesus is, is is the Scriptures. If you skip on down to verse 45 through 47, you'll see the fifth witness that Jesus brings to bear. He calls to the stand. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So the fifth witness that Jesus is saying here is Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible. He's saying, look, Moses was writing of me. Writing of me. In other words, he's saying that all of the Old Testament is pointing to me. The Jews, they loved the writings of Moses. They loved the books of Moses. They would seek to follow the laws perfectly. But Jesus is saying what? You've missed the whole point of them. The whole reason why Moses was writing was to point forward to Jesus. What Jesus is saying here is that the study of Scripture does not bring life itself. Rather, the Scriptures bear witness to the one who brings life. And who is that? That is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scriptures bear witness about the one who brings life, about Jesus. So the study of the Bible should result in genuine faith in Jesus and should be followed by obedient action and transformed lives. Look, we don't just study the Bible to acquire knowledge to impress people, which is exactly what the Jews were doing here. Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point of the Scripture because they're actually seeking glory from one another as it says in verse 44, instead of glory from God. You know, friends, how sharp that sting would have been, right? Verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Friends, these these Jewish leaders, they were reading the Scriptures every day. And they thought that doing so was going to bring them life. But it wasn't. And it was never meant to. Why? Because reading the scriptures, they were reading the scriptures wrongly. And ultimately, they were ruining their lives. The scriptures bear witness about Christ. So people who read the Bible, who read in particular the Old Testament without seeing that it all points to Jesus, fail to understand its message. 
Friends, did you know that you could sit down and read the Bible every day and at the same time be destroying your life? That's shocking, isn't it? That's pretty scary. When you read the Bible wrongly, what Jesus is saying here is it's destroying your life. That's exactly what the Jewish leaders were doing. They knew the scriptures incredibly well. As I mentioned, they had most of it memorized. Remember, they didn't carry around. They didn't have a nice, neat Bible that they could carry around. They didn't have an iPhone with an app on it that they could just look up whatever passage they wanted. No, they had to memorize a lot of it. And yet Jesus is saying, even though you are studying the scriptures every day, even though you are looking to the scriptures for life, you have none. You're actually destroying your life. They're destroying their lives by reading the scriptures. How? How could that be? Because of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you think that in them you have life. Take a look at that. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. They were tirelessly studying the scriptures. And they thought that in their study of the scriptures, they would actually achieve salvation. Their motivation and their hope was because they had tirelessly studied the scriptures that God would then accept them. In fact, one of their rabbis put it this way. The more study of the law, the more life. So they were thinking that their study of the scriptures, their study itself would bring them life. You see that? Their study is what they thought would save them. Their knowledge is what they were thinking would save them. But in their studies, they had missed the true content of the scriptures. The study itself doesn't bring life if you fail to see who the Bible is about, who the Bible is pointing to. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It is they that bear witness about me. Or if you look at verse 46, he says, for if you believed Moses, you would what? You would believe me. You see, they missed the point. They missed the point. They, they, they missed the one in whom they were to put their hope for salvation. He was standing right in front of them. Jesus is saying, it is they that bear witness about me. Yet what? Verse 40, you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. So the study of the scriptures itself doesn't bring life by itself. Rather, the scriptures bear witness to the one who gives life. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Study of the Bible, the Bible, when studied rightly, the way that Jesus is speaking of here, should result in faith and transformed lives. We have to understand who Jesus is in order to rightly understand the Scriptures as the word about Christ. So you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying there is a right way, and he's saying there is a wrong way to study the Bible, to read and understand. There's a way that leads to destruction and a way that leads to life. We've seen the wrong way in the leaders. They're studying scripture and they're destroying their lives because they're missing it. They're missing who it was pointing to. So those who read 
the Bible, without seeing that it's all pointing to Christ, fail to see the Bible's message, that life is found in Jesus alone. Life is not found in the law. Life is not found in knowledge of the law and the knowledge of the Scriptures. Reading your Bible will not save you. Only the one to whom the Scriptures point will save you. And that's what these Jewish leaders were not doing. Now let me be clear. I'm not saying you should not read your Bible. Please hear me, okay? I did not say that. I'm saying there's a right way to read your Bible and there's a wrong way to read your Bible, right? We see Jesus clearly explaining here that if you read the Scriptures and you fail to see that they are pointing to life in me, you've missed it. But when we read them rightly, we see that it points us to Christ and that life is found in Him alone. I'm not saying by any means that you need to stop reading your Bible. No, no, no. I'm actually encouraging you to read it more. Hey, actually encouraging you and calling you to read it like Jesus is speaking of here. So how then do we read Scripture rightly? How then do we read the Bible in a way that is God-honoring and Christ-exalting that Jesus is speaking of here? Well, there's no magic formula. There's no five-step process for seeing how the Old Testament points us to Christ. And you don't need some special education to be able to do it. You just need to see that it's all one story of redemption that points us to Christ. So how do we read the Scriptures right? How do we see that the Scriptures point us to Christ? How do we do that? Well, I think the answer to that question is easier and harder than you may think. As I mentioned, there's no magic formula for how a text, particularly the Old Testament, points us to Christ. But but I think that in order to understand how to read the Scriptures rightly and apply them rightly to our lives, we also need to understand how to read them wrongly. Okay? So let's start with how can we have a wrong reading of the Scriptures? What are some ways in which we can improperly read the Bible, wrongly read the Bible? Well, I think one of the first ways we do that is by looking immediately to ourselves in the text. Or in other words, we just read a text and see what does this mean to me? How does this make me feel? What should I do or how should I act in light of this? I, I want to take you to one example. Let's turn to Psalm 24. Psalm 24, and I'm going to give you an example of how not to read the Bible, okay? What are some improper ways to read the Bible? Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6. So in order to understand how to read the Bible rightly, we also have to understand how to read it wrongly. This is a psalm of David. And he says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. <clears throat> so how can we wrongly or improperly read this passage of Scripture? 
especially what I just said concerning the first mistake that people make of immediately jumping to themselves. One example I remember was hearing a worship leader. When I was growing up, we had a worship night, and he read this passage. And so the worship leader gets up there, and he reads this passage, and he says, okay, let's bow our heads, and let's pray, and let's make sure we all have clean hands and a pure heart before we begin worshiping. There's only, there's a problem with that. We all have what? Unclean hands and an impure heart, right? We are all sinners. So how should we read this passage in light of what Jesus was saying in John 5? Well, when we read that scripture, we see there is a problem. There's a sinful problem, right? That we're all sinners. That that we all need a Savior. That we can't ascend God's holy hill. Why? Because we are sinners. But there was one who ascended God's holy hill. There was one who had clean hands and who had a clean heart. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect and sinless for us. And it's through his perfect, by placing our faith in his perfect and sinless work on our behalf that we are then able to ascend God's holy hill. That we are able to go before God with our prayers and with our requests because of what Christ has accomplished for us. So so, so the first way we improperly, wrongly read the Bible is we immediately go to ourselves, right? Instead of thinking about how does this passage point us to what Christ has done on my behalf. The second mistake that people make when reading the Bible is we simply try to find a deeper meaning than what is there. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, it tells the story of David before he goes to face Goliath. It says, he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, from the, brook, from the river, and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. How might someone wrongly misread that text? I, I remember reading some passages, uh, some commentary, some sermons from pastors of church history that said those five stones there represent the five books of Moses. So the first five books of the Bible. Or I've heard other sermons on how, well, those five stones that David chose were uh, examples of faith and hope and love. That would be reading into the text something that is not there at all, right? It's not there anywhere. So the wrong way in which we read the Bible is we read, we try to find this deeper meaning than what than what is truly and actually there. Okay, so those two ways. We immediately jump to ourselves or we try to find a deeper meaning than what's there. That's how you can wrongly read the scriptures. Well, well how can we do so rightly? How can we see that the scriptures point us to Christ? As I mentioned, I think it's easier and harder than we often think. And so I want to give you a couple of tools as we as we wrap up, a couple of tools to read the Bible properly. A couple of steps to take in reading and understanding the scriptures of how we can see how the scriptures point us to Christ. So what are some of these tools? First of all, I think, we have to understand that the scriptures are all one story. That the Bible is united. 
in Sunday school. Uh, we went through an overview of the whole Bible in one session, and then we went through an overview of the Old Testament. And we were talking about how it's all one story. It, it, I think uh, it, it's all one story of salvation history. And I think one of contemporary Christianity's greatest failures is that we do not see the Bible as one beautiful, true story. The Bible is not a list of rules. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's an account of what Jesus was going to do, of what he did and what he will do and how we are to live lives and be changed in light of what Christ has done for us. Friends, the Bible, despite whatever uh, culture around us wants to say, the Bible is not some random collection of stories. It's all one story. One story written by numerous human authors, but with one divine author, the one true God. So when we sit down to read the Bibles, we don't immediately begin to think of ourselves, but we think of how does this passage fit into the overall storyline of Scripture? How does it point us to Christ? And how in light of that then, our lives are meant to be changed and transformed. And I'll be honest, for the majority of my life, I read the Bible not thinking about the big picture. You know, I would read it and jump immediately to myself. Or, or maybe, uh, like some of you do as well, you would just flip to some random page in the Scriptures and just try to think, what does this mean for me? That is not reading the Bible faithfully the way Jesus calls us to in John chapter 5. Scripture story is not about you and it's not about me. Scripture is God's Word about Christ, about what He's done to save His people from their sins. And so we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep in mind that it's all one story, one grand story of redemption, one grand story of salvation, of how God has acted in history to save us from our sinful rebellion against Him. So that's the first sort of tool that we have in mind. Understand that the Bible is all one united story of redemption. Second tool that we have is to understand that the Bible is Christ-centered, that the Bible points us to Jesus. You can turn to Luke 24, and we see Jesus teaching that there. Not just in John 5, he teaches that, but we see that in Luke 24. We have to understand that the Bible is Christ-centered. And what do I mean? I mean what Jesus is saying in John 5. It all bears witness to who he is. Christ is the fulfillment of Scripture. Luke 24, verse 27, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he meets with his disciples on two different accounts. And and look what he says. Actually, let's skip up to verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Or if you skip down just a couple more verses in the same chapter to verse 44. Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. 
other words, he's showing us how all of the Bible is meant to point to himself. How it's all fulfilled in him. And friends, living on this side of the New Testament, when we look back at the Old Testament, we are able to see how it's pointing forward to what Christ is doing. And the New Testament is explaining further what Jesus has done. So we're to see how all of history, how the Bible, how all of history hinges on Jesus. How the whole Bible is united together in Christ and we're to live in light of that. So the leaders of Jesus' day, that we read about in John chapter 5, they were seeking to find their hope for salvation in their knowledge. And as Jesus says, in one sense, they were seeking the praise of man, not God. And so in their attempt to gain knowledge of the Scripture, they did not come to truly know God, nor His Son, whom God had sent. Friends, there He was. Jesus, the the Lamb of God, that all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed to, was standing right in front of them. Yet these leaders could not see Jesus for who He was. They were blind. And Jesus said, look, you don't know God because you don't know me. They didn't truly know the Bible because they missed how it was all pointing to him. And that was shocking to them. He was telling them, look, God, whom you claim to love, you don't really love, nor do you know. And friends, can you imagine their shock? It made them want to kill Jesus. And they did. But they didn't recognize that Christ must die for their sins and conquer sin through His resurrection. So that all who are sinners could have hope in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let's not miss who Jesus is saying He is here. Let's not think that the Bible is primarily about you and me and what we must do No, no, no. Let's see how the Bible is an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Friends, let's not miss that life-transforming gospel. So may you trust in Christ, trust in Jesus, trust in Him, the One whom all the law, the prophets, and the writings point to. Because salvation from our sins is found in Jesus Christ alone. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Friends, do you know this life that's found in Jesus Christ alone? Are you here today and you've never repented of your sins and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only hope in life and death? If that is you and you have not done so, may you turn to Him today. See what He has done for you and trust in Him as your hope for salvation. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you 
uh, about that more, what it means to follow Jesus more after service is done. But don't wait to talk to me. Cry out to God right now at this very moment, asking for forgiveness. Or maybe you have this life, believer. Are you sharing this life with others? Are you just keeping it to yourself? Friends, don't miss the life-transforming gospel that is found in the Scriptures that points us to Christ and points us to salvation that's found in Him alone. Do you believe His words? Let's pray. Father, we come before you now this morning. And Lord God, we thank you for your word that points us to life in Christ. Lord, Lord, we thank you that, that Jesus is showing us from John 5 and Luke 24 how we can rightly read the Bible. I pray that you would give us eyes to see how it all points us to your son, Jesus. Of how he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead so that we could have hope of eternal life. Lord God, continue to fill us with your spirit to better faithfully serve you and read and understand the truth of your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.